Okay, uh, today, well, we're almost done with the book. We have one more time on mere Christianity. So next time we meet, which will be uh, April 10th, um, will be our last, we'll finish up the book of mere Christianity. And we are going to do The Great Divorce, which uh, we'll have a box of books you can take on the way out today. So... Um, I left them up in my office, and the vicar's bringing them down. The, uh, uh, if you want to go ahead and get started, you're very welcome to. Um, but there, there, there they are in the Amazon box. So perfect. How much? Whatever the price was for the mere Christianity, which I can't remember. Ten bucks? Yeah. What does it say on there? Oh, big money. We're making big money. So, uh, $8. Yeah, I'm, I don't have any change, so 10 okay, 10 We'll pay it forward, I guess. But if you choose to, A, not pay or pay $8, that's okay, too. So, um, What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, so uh, uh, pick up the book and then... Um, Go ahead and get start reading if you if you so choose. We'll uh, give you the reading. Um, what am I? What am I? Reading schedule. There we go. Reading schedule on April tenth. It's about twenty pages. There uh, we'll have seven studies, and I I believe it's hundred and forty pages. So it like works out perfectly every twenty pages. So. You can pay later, whenever. Uh, you can pay dot, dot, dot. There won't be a final thing, whatever you want to. I, I'm not keeping track. Let's be real honest. I, I don't keep track. I'll leave it up to you. Okay, well, uh, today, C.S. Lewis really is driving home the point that Christians don't follow rules, but follow a person. And it comes up all throughout these four chapters that we read today. So I don't, I, we don't really need to get through everything, but if there was anything that stood out in this section, please let me know. I, there, was, there was really too much. I, I barely got out of the first chapter, and I said, well, wait a second, I better, I don't know, talk about the other chapters. So I um, anything that popped out in people's minds that... They thought were interesting, had questions on, or were confused. If not, then we can just talk about toy soldiers. Oh no, any, any of the chapters. Yes. Pretending. Yeah. We're pretending. It's like we're not pretending. Right. We're acting. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we're acting like. Yeah, now of course it's a uh Right. Now that's a good question. I uh I, I didn't make it too much of a big deal about that. That that was one of the parts I took out. Just I couldn't get it get twice on two pages, so um all right, so in chapter Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 27, 
is uh, real helpful. Um, it, well, first of all, he, he talks about two kinds of pretending. One, where you're, you're basically giving false pretense. You're lying. And then there's the other kind of pretending where you're trying to be like something, even though you, you, you aren't. I have a little dialogue there from a fictional young girl and a fictional older cousin. And um, names have been withheld to protect the innocent. I'm Elsa, said the younger sister. No, you're not, replied the older cousin. Yes, I am. No, you are Sasha. Stop breaking your younger cousin's heart right now, demanded the mother of the older cousin. This is, that's the kind of pretending that uh, C.S. Lewis is talking about. You see it in child's play all the time. It's formative play, dressing up like Christ, where there is, because, uh, so on a certain level, he's absolutely right. You can take that literally, because you are saint and sinner, and you are trying to do these things or be like Christ, but at the same time, from what Holy Scripture has talked about, in Galatians chapter 3, 26, 27, and also, I think I, I didn't actually write it down because there's umpteen. Oh, it's in Galatians 3, 26, where Paul talks about being in Christ. But you could, I, I think I, when I kind of mentally counted, there's, you know, there's, like, there's over 20-some references of Paul using in Christ um, as a, a reference of the identity of a Christian. Which means then that your identity, so you're not really pretending, but you're just being, you, you are being Christ in the world. But it's both ends. So there's the acknowledgement of the reality of your sinfulness, where you, you can't be sinful and be, uh, be a little Christ, as Lewis says, because Christ obviously is sinless. But at the same time, you have been sainted or hallowed in holy baptism. So you're just doing what you do. It's just what Christians do, right? So it's a both and, both and. But Lewis obviously uses this metaphor of a child playing, um, and it, it breaks down. I, I, I was surprised he didn't really do that. He, more, most of his analogies, he'll, he'll say, well, this is where it breaks down. So when you... So on a certain aspect, yes, you pretend, meaning sometimes you do things you don't want to do. And then other times you rejoice, you rejoice in doing them. So it's both and. Sometimes you have to pretend. Yeah, that one, that one is probably the most extreme. That, that, that would be taking it to the extreme because God doesn't... In fact, I think I said that. I, I, but he, he does, I think. Yeah, well, I said God doesn't pretend, but counts Christ's righteousness as our righteousness. Yeah, so for instance, but let's go back to the, the first pretending real quick because if you ever see a child pretend to be Elsa, this child believes they are Elsa. And they will get mad at you if you say, no, you're not. Older siblings will do that just to get a rise out of them. But 
if you were to ask this child, yes, I am Elsa. Okay. Are they Elsa or are they not Elsa? Well, first of all, do you know who Elsa is? I'm sorry. Uh, from the Frozen movie, Let It Go, Let It Go. If you, if you know a, a girl under the age of eight, and most boys, uh, they all know who Elsa is. Um, yeah, whatever it is, Spider-Man. Or For me, growing up, I always pretended I was an NFL football player. So much so, I would wear my shoulder pads to the grocery store because that's what football players do. I play for the Redskins. Although, I guess I shouldn't say that now, but I played for the team in Washington. Well, it was in 1987, and, uh, well, Adrian Danley. Well, I'm sorry, that, that's he's a basketball player. Um, number 97. I had this infatuation for the offensive lineman of the team from Washington. Okay, anyways, uh, boys do it. And I, I, when I, I remember when I was a kid, I, I yeah. I, I want it to be. So, it, so when you pretend, you, you show your desire, but at the same time, you reveal that you're not. And I think that's why maybe it might be a little helpful to use that as, as this play acting, is that it reveals your desire. You want to be like Christ. But at the same time, you know you're not. So what do you do? You can't keep on trying but someone needs to come to you and show you and be with you. And then that's, that's where Lewis brings in Christ himself uh, is actually at your side and is already at that moment beginning to turn your pretense into a reality. Which, of course, when you stand before God, now back to Carol's point, is when you stand before God, when Jesus or when God the Father looks at you, he actually is not pretending, but who does he see? He sees Christ. Because you're a son of God. That was Galatians 3, 26. Uh, now you're in Christ Jesus. You are all sons of God. Whether you're a woman or a man, it doesn't matter. You're, you're Jesus when you stand before the Heavenly Father. So, to a certain extent, though, I'm sure if you get to heaven and say, do you, God, do you really not see me as me? They'll be like, yeah, okay, I know who you are. Yes, you're Jeanette Marty. Okay. But when it comes to counting your righteousness, I, I see Jesus only. Okay, so this is the problem with a lot of, uh, you know, when we think, we can't think in both and terms. It's, it has to be either or. And Lewis then brings up, I think earlier, this identity aspect. We're talking completely stream of consciousness right now, so if you're confused, that's okay where Lewis says, as Christians, we're all connected, right? I think he brings up the whole connected. But that doesn't mean, since we're all connected, that you don't exist anymore. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, we're many members of one body. This means, though, that you are you in the community, or in, in the body of Christ. So the Heavenly Father sees you but in the context of the body of Christ. 
as, as, as the Son of God, as Christ. But that doesn't mean you no longer exist as a person. And that's important because as you think about following Jesus and the desire to grow closer to God, that, well, there's certain religions out there that will say that you should, yourself should be annihilated. You should cease to exist. Does anyone know which religion that is? That's Nirvana, that's, Buddha, that's uh, Hinduism or Buddhism to a certain extent. Um, for a lot of us, when we hear that cease to exist, that sounds crazy. But, in, in, but Christians in the past have mistaken, like, whose words could they mistake as annihilation of oneself? I think we'll hear it, or we did hear it already in Lent. John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease, as if I must no longer, like, it's just all Jesus. Well, of course, it's all Jesus but it's not to the point that it means you're, you no longer exist, okay? You are who you are in the community in Christ. Yeah, Leah. That's right. Right. That's right. That's right. You yeah, you are who you are as a whole. So uh, First Corinthians twelve, twelve through I think I wrote it down somewhere. Somewhere in there. Um twelve twelve. I know it starts at twelve twelve, because I always thought, hey, twelve twelve. Okay. Um first Corinthians twelve twelve, Paul brings up the body, the nose, the eyes. And then he finishes it with, are you all prophets? Are you all apostles? Are you all miracle workers? Do you all speak in tongues? Do you all interpret? Yada, yada, yada. And of course, by that point, you're like, no. And uh, um, yeah, no. But at the same time, you're all part of the body of Christ. And then, so that actually validates your person, meaning Mary's Mary, Nancy's Nancy, Gisela is Gisela. You know, we're all who we are, but we only are who we are when we are see ourselves in the body. Because as we see ourselves in the body, the body of Christ, then we all have a very special role. If you want to use that word, special. Uh, specific. The body isn't who the body is without you. And you aren't who you are without the body. So it's a very dynamic uh, way of understanding yourself. Okay, so that is, uh, I have no, I can't remember why I brought that up, but all right, great. Anywho, um, let's go back to the beginning about toy soldiers, just because I, I think it's, it's important. Um, so Christianity, he's bringing out, is, is, is uh, it's about changing who you are rather than getting what you want. And what I mean by that is growing up, uh, you know, the message of the Christian faith was, well, you need to be a Christian so you don't go to hell. 
or you know you become a Christian so you can live forever. And so the Christian life is articulated in terms of what you get. Obviously, a ticket out of hell—that's good, right? Uh, or or a ticket to heaven. Now, those are real things. I mean, those are true statements. However, if it's a, if your Christian faith is articulated primarily in those terms, then it who is it about? Yeah, it's self-referential. It comes back to you. It's what I get. And that, unfortunately, is not biblical. That's not what the Bible says. So, Lewis, in setting the stage about um, the Son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God as the primary focus here, is really important. Because, first of all, it echoes, I, I put a couple quotes there, Irenaeus and Athanasius um, and Second Peter about how uh, becoming Christians then are about becoming more like Christ, following Christ. Then, in terms of uh, pretending, is that you, you, you are following Jesus to be like Jesus. And, of course, when you're like Jesus, then you're living a life of love and a life of service, mercy, forgiveness. It is wholly about other people, not about yourself. So it's, it's a very very kind of fundamental difference, but, at, but, but it's a very important difference. Because what happens when times get tough, you pray to God for something and you do not receive it. I mean, so if you spend, you spend a lot of your Christian life thinking, I get stuff from God, and you see God as kind of a cosmic vending machine, um, and then when it doesn't return back to you, That's right. You get mad at it. You kick it. And then, and then what eventually happens with the vending machine, I'm saying? You kick it. You know, uh, you know those, uh, the, like when you try to order Funyuns, the little circle thing, and it's like, oh, and it's just about to fall off down the thing to get it. You know, you kick it. But those things are really too heavy. You can't move it. And then you, what do you try to do? Stick your arm up there, maybe. Try to get that thing. So you try harder. That's the whole point. So now you're not getting what you want. What's the course of action? Try harder. Apply to your Christian life. I don't get what I want. What am I going to do? Pray harder. Read Bible more. Do more good works because somehow God's not blessing me. I must be the problem. All right, so that, that's a nice road to go down, right? <laughs> because no matter what you try to do, you're not going to get that Funyun. I've never, I've never gotten a thing out of that vending machine when I put the money in and it doesn't come down. I've never gotten it to fall off. Usually what do I have to do? Put more money in, right? So now I paid twice as much for one. Sometimes I get two, though. So the analogy breaks down. All right. <laughs> yes. Discipline. Or was that two weeks ago? Yeah. Go ahead and just read it. I interrupted you.
rise and tear to him who is able to save him from death. And he heard this because of his, rever his reverence. And then it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Right. So Jesus prayed for what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And God said, you're going to suffer, even though you're asking to not suffer. Right. And Jesus learned how to be obedient. Whereas, you know, if we always got what we wanted or thought was, was best for us, did we ever learn obedience? Right. This is a good question. That's right. Nancy. That's right. That, that would be the second course of action, yep. Yep, they give up completely. All right, so what Holly said is, uh, is, is extremely important because when we understand the Christian life or Christianity in terms of following Jesus or becoming more like Jesus, those are the kind of things in store. Now the thing is, though, is that as hard as that sounds, what, okay, this is kind of, well, okay, so we're entering into Holy Week, which is perfect for this kind of discussion. Good Friday, one of the last readings, Jesus cries out what? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Um, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? At that moment, he seems, right, God has deserted him. Things are, things are not so good. But, you know, has God really deserted him? Yes and no, though, right? I mean, this is the point, is that, uh, so it depends on, yes, it's both hand, right? So um, I didn't think about speaking about both hand the whole time, but that is pretty, it's very applicable. Uh, yes, he has. I mean, because Jesus can't even, can't recognize the presence of God at that moment. But no, he hasn't because we know of the resurrection. It's the reality is that uh, the Heavenly Father hasn't deserted him fundamentally, ultimately. And, and so that should be, that, should, that, that can happen in our life too. Thank goodness it doesn't always happen, but it can happen. Well, that's right. That's right. Well, that's right. Well, and so that's the toy, so the tin soldier bit, and Lewis's thing is, how did God? So when the tin soldier doesn't want to become a, you know, a fleshy soldier, you know, what's God's plan for that? Well, to become like a tin soldier, uh, so that he can kind of show the way. And. You know, we always struggle with how human Jesus is. You know, to a certain extent, it's a little intimidating to find out that Jesus is really like us. But at the same time, it's also very encouraging because there's hope for us then. Hope for, you know, tomorrow. Hope to get through things. Hope to, yeah. All right, so the, the point is, is that um, Christianity is about following Jesus. It is about 
the Christ in you, living through you. And that, of course, there's great benefits in that, but the fundamental benefit is simply being with Jesus. But of course, when you're with Jesus, you could be with Jesus on the cross. Right? Which is painful and terrible. Okay. All right, so the, uh, um, the, uh, the other thing, too, though, is, is that, so Lewis has a, somewhat of a, a very interesting point here, is that the tin soldier might say, hey, great, becoming a fleshy soldier, I, yeah, I don't want that, because the tin soldier only knows its existence as a tin soldier, and as it's transformed, the tin soldier believes what about itself, it, what's happening to it being killed. And of course, the tin soldier doesn't want to be killed, right? That is very, this is a very real thing in terms of what happens to us when God changes us, is that we have a very hard time imagining life in its fullness, life as Christ, so that when God molds us and transforms us, it actually is painful. I mean, it, it, it will be painful. And in those moments of pain and suffering, of course, the, the, the challenge is to realize where is this going? What is happening? Is it to destroy me? Or is it to purify me and become who I am? And what happens when people believe that they are just simply sinners and that's all there is? Well, yeah, depression, hopelessness. But they don't expect anything more. And that is something that, unfortunately, even Christians kind of, oh, I'm, just, I'm a poor, miserable sinner, period. And that's it. Of course, if you... You gotta do the, the whole confession. What's at the end of the confession? What what do you desire? <laughs> to, to to follow God's will. And so the question would be, well, do you believe that? Do you believe that God will forgive your poor, miserable sinnerness and actually then enliven you to live God's will? Yeah, it's uh it's it's a very interesting thing because really believing in and living in the forgiveness of sins can actually bring joy, can bring something more to life, and then subsequently can create a community, uh, a living community, not a mopey community. goes around and laments how they're sinners all the time. Um, all right, so that's kind of the obstinate toy soldier. Is the person who's, who basically uh, can't really believe that they are, through the forgiveness of sins, they are being changed into what Christ or what God wanted them to be, which is like Christ. And what's interesting is in John chapter 19, verse 5, which you will hear on Good Friday, uh, Pilate, well, the, there's a lot of paintings of this too, like Renaissance paintings. The, the, the homo ecce, ecce, behold the man. John uh, 19, verse 5. So, 
oftentimes we think, oh, this is just a detail in kind of the, the drama of, you know, the trial of Jesus. Uh, the Gospel of John, he's making a point. He says, behold the man. It's not like the guy you just put on trial. He's behold the man. This is a the man. So the 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 definite article is definite. This is who this is what human this is humanity right here. Jesus on trial to, set to die. Now if uh, so, what's interesting though is in first century, what language was spoken by the early Christians? It's kind of a trick question. There's you could have three languages. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Greek could be one. Latin could be another one. And Hebrew. So if you're quoting that scripture, behold the man in Hebrew, guess what it sounds like? I'll, I'll translate it in English. Behold Adam, the man. Behold Adam. The Gospel of John, John the, the Gospel writer, is showing us who the real Adam is. And it's at that point where Pilate says, behold the man. Everyone looks and sees what mankind is supposed to be. He's the, the one true man. That is, so that is, when you think about yourself, that is your image right there. <laughs> it's a very interesting image. because what, So think about the, the, the context of what Jesus is in. He's on trial being accused of something that he has not committed. What's fascinating is that none of the Gospel writers... And the Apostle Paul doesn't show Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and says, Behold the man. Yeah. Because what, what is that? It is uh, irony from Pilate? Uh. Well, well, yeah, maybe. I mean, the, throughout the, the trial of Jesus, uh, irony is used quite a bit. Uh, purple robes. In fact, in John chapter 19, Jesus is dressed as a king. And then, he's, then Pilate says, behold the man. What, great, what, what the gospel writers do, though, is they, they mock the mockery. Which is, I mean, we, 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 you have to think about that. But yes, they, they, they mock the mockery. And what happens when you mock the mockery? It becomes what? A, a true statement. So the, the things that we don't quite understand when we think about this is going through the trial of Jesus the crown of thorns, the purple robe, the, the stick in the hand, or the staff or whatever, the royal scepter, and then Pilate saying, Behold the man. If we believed it was simply mockery, the gospel writers would what? They would not include that in the writing. But they're actually saying, yeah, that's actually true. But you don't get it, people. He is the king of the world. And this is the true, the true man. So, um, so what Lewis is talking about is, is that um, when you become more like Christ, you're becoming more human, or Adam, you know, the person, and that um, becoming more like Christ, then you become, uh, you understand what God has intended from the beginning of time. And so, what do you do with that old Adam? So, Luther's small catechism in the, in the baptism, the fourth question, uh, what does such baptizing with water signify? 
It signifies that the old Adam in us should, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and die with all sins and evil lusts, and again, a new man daily come forth and arise, who shall live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Um, that is, I, first of all, for me personally, that statement right there is like life-forming for me. I think about this all the time. And your, the sins that, so, uh, oh boy, I can't remember when he talks about that, but where Lewis talks about, well, hey, if I had a little more time to understand what someone said to me rather than just reacting, I wouldn't be such a bad sinner. You know, you know right? So, like, he says, <laughs> he goes, but that, that actually, you're just, you're just covering up your sinfulness, basically. You're, you're, now, now you're pretending. And then the, the opposite sense, you're pretending to be a good, you know, uh, a good person when, in fact, that's so you're lying. But anyways, the, the whole point, though, is that um, what Luther's re- reflecting on is, is our posture, our temp. I think Lewis uses the word temperament, right? You, you can't, you can't uh, hide your temperament. And sometimes your temperament is sinful. So what Luther is doing in the small catechism right there in the doctrine of baptism is that every day you wake up and that is your frame of mind. That's your posture in life is this drawing into the old Adam and uh, you know, asking God for forgiveness and then the, the promise to do better. And then you know, you're supposed to do this like right when you get out of bed. You know, I think that's how he kind of talks about it in the large catechism. So you literally, like, you wake up, you make the sign of the cross, you, you drown the old Adam, and then you get up for the day. And that's going to be your perspective for the day. I, I think about this all the time because so much of our, our sins are coming from this temperament aspect. It's not acts. It's more about who we are as people. And that the only way that we can begin to change who we are is if we really immerse ourselves or are baptized um, in, in who Jesus is. And, you know, I don't, so we had confession over Lent and we'll have confession next week. This, uh, in the hymnal, page 292, I believe, uh, it comes from Luther's small catechism, the confessional rite, and it's, it's, it's essentially based on this whole understanding. We go to confession to basically daily daily drown the old Adam. It's, uh, anyways, so that's what we do with the old Adam, so that the, the man, the, uh, the, the new Adam, would emerge and live. All right, anyways, I, I, I think about this stuff all the time because so much of our life is... The struggle is is with who we are, right? We we struggle with who we are, and not why. Well, maybe some people do, but I struggle with who I am, and I do struggle at times with what I've done. But um, the thing that brings shame most of the time is is who I am, right? Brene Brown, for those who should check that book out, Darren Greatly. Um, she has some good words about that. Okay. Objective justification and subjective justification. Lewis then talks about how humanity is already saved in principle. We don't think about that too much, but John 3.16 is very important. So God saved the world, right, through his only son. So the world, we uh, we shouldn't think about temporally, but eternally. So 
gotta save the world forwards and backwards. And I think Lewis talks about throwing a pebble into the water and it, it kind of rippling throughout. So when Jesus is, you know, dropped down into the world, Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection affects all of the world, those who've ever lived in the world. And so John 3.16 is really important. I use John 3.16 because it's simple. Um, so he saved everybody. Everyone is saved right now. Okay? Now, the question would be whether you believe it or not, or if um, you believe it's for you. So if you keep reading John chapter uh, 3, verse 16 through 21, uh, he goes, and here's the judgment. I should probably read that real quick. That was just in, that was, again, that was another Lenten text. This has all been on my mind since, you know, going to church and stuff. Um, You know, this has a ramifications about what we think about hell, too. But um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's a true statement. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So... Th- John, is, John, the gospel writer, is saying that Jesus has come into the world and has not condemned the world, but has saved the world. So the, the premise here is that the, uh, when Jesus dies, he dies for everyone. Or, well, of course, not at this time. He has died and risen again. Okay. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, but lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Okay, we have the in God versus in Christ. Different writer. But this is really important for us. So the light has come into the world. The light is shining. We all are outside, and it, it's sunny day out. Lo well, and behold, these people come along and be like, Hey, do you guys, you know, why, why do you have flashlights? Well, it's dark out. No, it's not. It's light. No, it's dark. They, they don't believe that it's light outside. Well, so the, the idea is, is that, so you have this objective, uh, objective reality that Christ has saved everyone, but you also have the subjective reality, meaning there's people who go around thinking it's dark out. Now, okay, when you think about it that way, it's kind of silly, right? People walking around in darkness when there's, it's sunny out. But that's how the Bible, that's one of the ways the Bible talks about um, those who have uh, not believed in the name of Jesus. They've just decided not to. Um, of course, then that means, not to get on a tangent, but whoever goes to hell wants to go to hell. That's hard. But we'll see that in the Great Divorce. Okay. Or how Lewis kind of thinks about that. All right. Anyways, that's a, that's a minor point, but I think it's a very important point as we talk to people too. Yeah, Gisela. Yeah. This is a good question. Why, why do they have John 3.16 at the football games? 
I think it's probably because they, you know, the first part of that verse, hey, uh, you know, for God to love the world. They, they want to show how God loves them, maybe, I'm assuming. Now, for whatever reason, why? Now, first of all, you don't see that too much anymore, but we used to see that, you know, whatever, 20 years ago, a lot. Um, I, I have no idea why. I always thought it was odd. Because, you know, there's a lot of presumptions when you show that sign up, right? Yeah, right, you know, you know it's in the Bible. Because, um, is there anybody professional wrestling fans? Steve, Steve Austin? I'm kidding. I, 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 was, I was teasing, but uh, while John 316, there was this uh, professional wrestler, Steve Austin, who uh, had, like, it was like Austin 316 or something like that. He played on it. So, you, yeah, okay, never mind. I always thought that was funny, though, because I'm like, hell, hey, yeah, I guess that's right, because for most people, that doesn't, John 316 and Austin 316, that doesn't, that's the same thing for most people, because they don't know what neither of those mean, but okay. All right, anyways, uh, so there you go. I, I'm not sure, but I think it's because of that. <laughs> okay. All right, um, uh, let's see here. Yeah, any, anything else? Any other questions? Yeah, Donna, I thought it's on there. You mentioned you know, with the humanity, it's already the principle. Yeah. And I, you can't remember, but he uses um, the word it. I don't have my book for it with me, so go ahead and read it. I wish you would use the word man, so maybe this is what, what did it say? Yeah, go ahead and read it. Right. Yeah, right. Sure. Well, both are obviously correct. So uh, I think that was last week's reading. I don't know if you got to it, but the good infection, right? So, yeah. And um, so Lewis, I think Lewis is, again, who is he talking to originally? Uh, this is from away from the preface, if you don't remember. It was a, this was a radio program first. So I think Lewis is using the conditional to the, presuming that those who are listening aren't already in the, in, uh, of baptized Christians. Because if you're baptized, then it's not if, but when. That's right. So, Donna, I mean, you noticed something here. So, I think that's probably the simple answer to that. But, you know, who knows? The, but, the, but the important thing, though, is, is that Lewis is, again, highlighting John 3.16. There's the objective and then the subjective is that, uh, you know, laying claim or, you know, believing faith in Christ. The other aspect, too, though, good, good, good infection, though, I, I didn't want to talk about this. I mean, I, I just figured you guys maybe dealt with it quite a bit, but I, I really like the, the infection bit. I, I think that's really interesting because, um, all right, so, so think about it in terms of Ebola. I, I think of Ebola. When I saw that, I thought of Ebola right away or measles. No, but e, uh, Ebola is highly contagious, right? 
Or is measles more contagious than Ebola? E measles is, right? Yeah. Uh, so let's think about measles. It's highly contagious. And of course, if you are you know, susceptible to having measles, you need to stay away. Now, of course, if measles was a good disease, what would happen? Everyone would come towards. I mean, you'd run to it. You'd be part, I mean, you would want to be as close as possible. And uh, in that respect, then, Lewis's uh, kind of good infection bit, which then kind of comes again back into the conversation in the chapters we read, becomes very applicable in two ways. First, in terms of non-Christians, just inviting people to be, to be amongst the community. That, is, that should be your evangelism program, in a sense. Because when non-Christians come around the community, they see, they, who do they see? Lewis brings this up. They see Jesus, right? Because Jesus is alive. Because he'll say, you could talk to someone and say, I've never seen Jesus before. How can you say Jesus, you know, I can't remember, ministers to me or whatever. Well, Lewis says, well, I know what Jesus says because Christians have, you know, loved you. So, in a certain extent, again, now, of course, then it also reveals, what about the community? Not only are they loving, but they're pretending sometimes. They're sinful. And so, that's why understanding ourselves as forgiven sinners primarily is very helpful because it's, it's, it's a real honest portrayal of the, the reality of things. It doesn't overpromise things, meaning, hey, come to church because we're awesome. No, it's, come to church because Jesus is awesome. He's awesome not because of not only because of what he did for us on the cross and in the grave. He, he's awesome because of what he's doing to us now in our midst through word and sacrament. Uh, so so you want, you know, you, you invite people to the community to be infected. Now, for those who are already in the community, then of course what what do you do? Well, okay, like Ebola or measles, if you stay away from it, you won't be infected with it. So people in the community, when things are hard or you feel like you're losing something, sometimes our reaction is to what? To not come to church anymore, to stay away. But that's the very time where you need to like drive closer. Um, yeah, I just had this very interesting conversation this morning with a Wheaton College student, and her, she was sharing some frustrations about some of her classes about how, I think there was a discussion amongst the students about, you know, how do we grow in our faith? I think that's what it was. And her, her response was real simple. Well, uh, go to hear God's word and receive the sacraments. It's, it's really simple. Um, well, she said she didn't say it to the class as a whole because she was a, well, I know why because I've been there. Um, <laughs> is, uh, it, it, it's, it's too different because the responses amongst her classes, uh, classmates, and this is not, I'm not banging on Wheaton College, it's, it's uh, symptomatic, all denominations, and, and unfortunately, even in, in Lutheranism, their responses were they have to be in the Word of God more 
And then I asked, you mean pray more too? And she said, well, they didn't say that, but that probably could have been part of the conversation too. So the response is not drawing closer to the thing that infects you, but the first response is to, to try harder. So go back to the vending machine aspect, right? <laughs> so you just keep trying harder to get something. Um, but for Lutheranism, it's real simple. I mean, it's simple but not easy, right? So that goes back to chapter 8, which I know is Christianity hard or easy? And the answer is yes <laughs> to both of them. Uh, and that's the same with uh, kind of Lutheran spirituality, is that the divine service, the word and sacrament, the worshiping community, is so fundamental to our life as Christians just our piety, our growth in Christ. That as we draw closer to God, as, as God draws us closer to him through his word and through his bodily presence, his sacraments, he, uh, he obviously will become more like, more like Christ. Now, of course, you can go through the motions. You can do all that stuff. That's Okay, but that, the presumption with that statement is you don't want it. Okay, I'm talking, to, I'm talking to everybody out there who's struggling and wants something, desires something. Um, because you can go through the motions in whatever spirituality that you want. So I can go through the motions of praying harder and read my Bible more. But yeah, okay, anyways, so that, that's beside the point. Uh, so this idea of good infection, you want to draw closer to Christ because Christ then will continually work on you and end up bring you closer to him. That's why Jesus isn't Plato or Marx, Karl Marx. Yeah, Krista. Uh, <clears throat> I had a friend and, um, and she said, oh, when I see the Christians, I'm much better. And uh, um, so I, <laughs> I don't want to say that I just, uh, because I was a good friend to her, you know. Sure, right. Um, and perhaps she saw, she saw many flaws in the right. But um, <clears throat> on the other hand, I think um, when you are just um, not a Christian, you can't forgive in a, in a certain way. Right. You would say, um, now naturally, they are Christians, and they are just uh, a little bit similar than I am, and uh, um, they have their faults, and um, but um, Jesus forgives them, so I try to forgive That's them. right. That's right. Uh, um, so in this way, um, I see it more when you just, um, <coughs> um, I think, when you are not a Christian, then you have a hard time to forgive. Well, it, it, there is actually, uh, yeah, everyone has a hard time, but there's the, the hopefulness of forgiveness, uh, I mean, theoretically speaking, is lost on, on Christians. Meaning that Christ has forgiven this person, I am to forgive this person. Uh, I might not right now. I mean, practice, kind of theoretically speaking, like in my mind, I can actually say those words. But I, I, there is a hope involved with even saying that. Uh, um, what's, uh, there, there was just this, uh, boy, it was, a, a, it was related to the ISIS. There was uh, some pastor, somebody who had this amazing... Brother, or the uncle of, of some of the 
Yeah, right. So this is that case Yeah. And the family member blames ISIS for running the entire video because it's an ant. Right. Yeah, which is, you know, pretty pretty crazy. But this person, to even say that, I mean, so, so this idea that on a certain level that's, that they're forgiving them. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, oh, so your first comment, though. Oh, so uh, uh, your friend who's happy to be around Christians. Um, Genesis, or uh, Genesis, oh my word, Luke. Uh, I just read this last night in Family Devotions. Where uh, Jesus uh, in uh, Luke 18, end of 18, just before 19, just before Zacchaeus, Jesus is about to walk into Jericho and there's a blind man. Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus heals him. And what do they do? Who do they glorify? They glorify God. That's really important for us because who did they not glorify? Which is kind of uh, uh, funny. We don't think about it, but who are they not glorifying? Jesus. So, which is really, really interesting because Jesus does not get glorified in those moments. And he's, this goes back to the humanity of Jesus, is that they see in Jesus the work of God. And even though Jesus has done this great thing, it's not about Jesus, but it's about God. And so in the same sense as Christians show the love of God or the love of Christ, it's not, it's not to draw, I mean people might say, oh my gosh this, the, these amazing signs of forgiveness and love and all that but the point would be if you were to ask these people not, not for me but for God's glory. So it's a signpost in a sense. You see the Christian but the Christians pointing to Christ. John the Baptist in a lot of old Renaissance paintings, that's, that's how he is all the time. He's, always, he's got this big finger pointing. And it's really like long and gangly, and it's kind of odd, because it's supposed to, oh, okay, you're looking at Jesus now. Um, okay. Well, anyways, uh, you know, Jesus isn't Plato or Karl Marx. I think we all kind of understand that. However... You know, how, how is he not like that? He's fundamentally not like that because of um, what he does to us. It's not interesting. I don't know. We don't need to even talk about that. So next time we'll meet, April 10th. Finish up the book. Um, yeah, that's it. It'll be great. Great Divorce books are on the back here. Let's pray and we'll go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.